You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. You all here this morning, I'm happy that you made it. You could have been somewhere else, but you chose to be here, and I pray that the Lord speaks to you today through His Word, and I know we're blessed to have you. I don't understand about the Nepal thing. I'm going to tell you that in the last week and a half, I met a guy that was a missionary. He was from Nepal, and he had uh, started a little church there in Chicago. I say little, over 100 people from um, refugees and, and so on, expats from Nepal, and real interesting guy. In fact, he called me this last week. I just met him one time at a little pastor's thing there. And then, um, and then um, uh, Sarah Pritchard uh, was just in Nepal. And she just got back yesterday. Some of you that know Sarah, she used to help us with singing here. And, and uh, she was, she's just a really quiet little person. And, man, she came back. She was on fire. So they had a real bad earthquake there in part of Nepal. And the, the little Nepalese pastor, he was looking for some assistance in helping to, to rebuild a church that collapsed. It was an adobe building that collapsed. A lot of people were killed. And he's trying to start uh, that same church as a house church. So interesting how God's moving. I don't know, is he speaking? I don't know, three times. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a word. Maybe we're supposed to do something. And then our, our other buddies were in Nepal, uh, Soup Campbell and a, a boy that I, I knew growing up, uh, Preston Buck. And uh, he, they were just there. I don't know. Maybe we're supposed to go to Nepal. Who's ready? I think the food's like average. <laughs> but eat a lot of bread in Nepal. We're going to read from Nehemiah this morning. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving, one of most people's favorite holidays. If you have any family, it's a miserable holiday, I suppose, if you don't have any family, but if you have any family left alive to gather together as family, and, and, uh, and I, I think we've kind of lost the vision of Thanksgiving in some ways, but uh, maybe I can help us to kind of regain that a little bit. I got two verses for you to begin. They're not in Nehemiah. One is Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. And in Haggai 2, 4, be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. One of my favorite books in the Bible, I can't tell you why. I've learned a lot from the book of Nehemiah. I've read it a number of times. I can't tell you how many times. We'll pick a number, say 20. And each time I find something new in it that's so applicable for today. And there's a prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9 that really describes the walk of any believer. Um, Nehemiah was a particularly righteous man that was living in Assyria at the time, was sent out, or Persia. Anyway, he was sent out to go back to try to restore the walls of Jerusalem. And in doing that, he found people already in the land that had come earlier with Ezra, the prophet Ezra, and they had already come there, but they were kind of sitting, waiting for something to happen. They'd lost their zeal. They got there, they started going to work, they started doing their thing. They weren't in danger because they had this uh, um, kingdom that was bigger than Israel, kind of controlling the enemies around. But they weren't rebuilding the wall. They weren't rebuilding the temple. They were marrying foreign wives, and they were getting into trouble there. But Nehemiah, he comes, in the book of Nehemiah, throughout Nehemiah, he repeatedly comes and goes back to Israel. And each time he comes and he finds the people very dedicated. Yes, we're going to do what you told us to do. Yes, we're going to follow the Lord. Yes, we're going to build the wall. We're going to keep the wall. 
you know, build that wall. Yeah, they were like, they were still going for it, right? They still had it, but then he would leave and he'd come back and they're not building the wall. Come back, they're not building the temple. Come back, they're working on their own house. Come back, they're working on the Sabbath, which they're not supposed to do. Come back and they got foreigners for wives. And each time he's like, hey, ditch the foreign wives. Get back to work on the wall. Get back to work on the temple. Get back to praising the Lord. Get back to supporting the priesthood. Oh, we're going to do it this time, Nehemiah. We're going to do it. He leaves, same story. And it's so like us as believers. Um, one thing in there I, I thought was interesting, you might catch if you're reading it, but it says that their children didn't know the holy language. They knew the, la the language of the foreigners, but they didn't know the godly language. Man, that's us. Our children don't know the holy language. They don't know how to speak to God. They don't know how to find God. They don't know how to look for God. In fact, they mock God. They don't know godly words. They only know worldly words. And so Nehemiah's like, hey, teach them Hebrew, gang, so that they can read the book, so that they can understand. Anyhow, Nehemiah 9, this prayer, I thought we could focus on it today because it's about recognizing how gracious God is regardless of our response to him. And I don't want to give you a pass and say, well, you know, if you're saved, you can just live like hell if that's how you choose to live. That's not the point. In fact, Paul says about returning to sin, he says, may it never be. Can I sin more that grace can abound more? No, stop sinning, quit it. What did Jesus tell the woman? Go and sin no more. Stop, stop with the sinning. Start with the following. It's not, it's not that freedom that God gives us. But what he does do is he gives us mercy where we deserve judgment. He gives us grace where we deserve discipline. He gives us love when we deserve rejection. That's what he does. And I want you to see that. And maybe we can look at that and, and figure that out. I hope you brought your Bible. I hope you did. I hope you're opening it. Not your computer Bible. Oh, you can use that one if you want. I just said that because the guy in the front row is like, no, get, get your Bible out. Whatever. I'll take it any way you can, but no, just know it's good to have a copy of the Word in your hand. I pray you'll follow along. It says, stand up in verse 5. Stand up and bless the Lord. We're going to read this whole chapter and it's pretty long, and some of you are frail and infirm, but just know, stand up and bless the Lord. It's Nehemiah 9, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 9, and it's about 38 verses. You can take it. It'll help you. It'd be better if I read it than if I tell you about it, because the power is in the Word of God and not in the Word of man. So let's hear the Word together. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Who's God? Well, you're God. It's your God. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. You made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. You heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. 
and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by a day by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts and statutes and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go into and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly. They hardened their necks and they did not heed your commands. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies... You did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands and their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns that were already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments. What if a man does, which, uh, the judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them, and they shrugged their shoulders and stiffened their necks and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in the prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are a God gracious and merciful. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small to you uh, that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. 
Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests or our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the good in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, in the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increases to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, our priests seal it. Now those who place their seal on the document were, and that's a list of men. It's quite a prayer. Let's go back and look at it a little more carefully. Starting in 9, just in verse 5 and 6, it says, Stand up and bless the Lord. That word is Yahweh. God has a name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. His name, Yahweh, bless the Lord, your God, Yahweh, the Elohim. He's the God of all gods. He's the creator of all things. He's the master. He's the designer. He's the father of all creation, and he's the father of you. While you were still in your mother's womb, it says he knew you. He knew you. He had a plan for you. He had thoughts about you, good thoughts. That God the creator of all things, the God of the earth of today of 8 billion people knows the number of hairs, hairs on your head. That God, that's who we're talking about. He does have a glorious name. You know, the Levites, they were a special group of guys. Not always did they stay exactly by the word like they should, but in general, they could be counted on to know the word. And it wasn't Nehemiah that gave this word to the people. It was the Levitical priesthood. And I think about us, as you're going to go this week and you're going to have Thanksgiving dinner somewhere, um, a lot of times we'll ask people, and I, I meant to do it this morning and I got ahead of myself, but we'll say, well, you know, what are you thankful for? And we, we talked about that at the mission on Friday night. And this one little Mexican guy goes, I got a bad tooth right here. And he goes, but I'm thankful because it reminds me that I'm alive. I was like, okay, whatever, man, I've had a bad tooth and <laughs> I just want it out. But it was an interesting way to look at things, how, how grateful he was to have a place to be, and the only thing he had going against him was a bad tooth. Stand up and bless the Yahweh, your Elohim, forever and ever. Make it a habit. As you go this week and you're going to be with people as believers, largely numbers of believers here, right? Ones that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came to save us. Why don't you tell somebody at the table how much you got to be thankful for, how much they got to be thankful. We're really bad to complain about things. We're really shallow when it comes to being grateful and thankful in things. Blessed be your glorious name. A lot of people, as they read the Old Testament in particular, and I, want, I don't want you to be in this trap. Say, so, well, the Old Testament was for the Jews, and the New Testament was for the Christians. And here's the deal. The Old Testament was for you, and the New Testament was for you. Because the creator of all things came down and sent a son for you. And all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man, the woman of God may be mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. Not the part that you like the best. Not your favorite psalm, where the deer pants for the water and my soul longs for you. Not that. The whole book. All of it. And it's for you. And it's where the God of creation speaks in a way that even the simplest man or the most brilliant can read the word and be saved. 
Now, you can choose to reject him in that, and you can, you can choose to say, well, I'm not of his people, but I want to be of his people. I want to be his people. I don't want to be, the Bible, well, Jonathan Edwards put it best, man, a natural enemy of God. In our natural state, we're an enemy of God. And David said, I hate those that hate you, O God. I don't want to be the ones that hate God, and I want to be hated by the, the Messiah. I want to be known by God. I want to be loved by God, and I want to love God. Show me, O Lord, how I can love you like David loved you. Teach me that. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner, but draw me to yourself. May the Father in heaven be your Father. We don't all got the same Father. Different people had different fathers. Some people's fathers weren't that whippy. Some were okay. Some were pretty good. Some were great. But none of them are equivalent to the Father who created all things. He, he's so generous. The way he starts, he builds a garden. And he provides it with every fruit and every delight for man. And it was an easy garden to maintain. It was all there prepared beforehand, and he puts Adam and Eve in it. Before he puts man in it, he prepared a place for the man to be because he's a good father. And even in us, so far away from that first fallen thing, so far, he's prepared, he prepared a place for you. How many of you guys built your own house? With your own hands? Well, one, <laughs> two. All right. We live in houses that were built for us. All we had to do was give them green paper and they let us move in. Do you ever think about that? How many of you got a fruit tree in your yard that you didn't plant? Anybody? How many's got a, a garden spot in your yard? I mean, we did. We moved into the house out there at Creston. It had fruit trees. I didn't plant none of that stuff. It was in there beforehand. He's preparing a place for us beforehand. How many of you have had to go to the grocery store and didn't have enough money to buy fruit? You just give them green paper. They give you the fruit. It was there beforehand, right? It was there. The Father has it all in place for you. All you got to do is go and claim it. Here's my green coupon. Take this. I'm going to take this apple. He's so good to us. We don't recognize how good he is to us. We just complain about how he did us wrong or he didn't love us enough or if he really loved me, he'd do this or that or, or, or whatever. Man, you're living in a house that you gave green paper for. <laughs> Think about it. It's a miracle. You traded something of no value whatsoever, green paper, for a thing that keeps the weather off your head. It's a miracle. God is so good to you. You didn't even see it. You know now, though. Tell your friends at, at uh, Thanksgiving. But this, this message right here, even in Nehemiah, it's for those who were afar off, like you, a Gentile. He made a message for even those that were afar off that they could draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's what our book says. We need to read our book. This is our God and our Father. He says that. Stand up and bless the Lord, your God. I don't worship Nepalese God. That's the, that's the God of Nepal. But the God of the United States of America was the most high God, the God and father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God of our country. God of our fathers, whose almighty hand bring forth the victory to this pitiful, sorry land. Right? That's our God. How come you're not worshiping him better? How come I'm not? Sorry I pointed at you. Don't be nervous. 
He's our God. He's our Father. He's all-powerful. He's got a glorious name. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and all praise. You alone are the Lord. You made heaven and the heavens of the heavens. He's, you know, people, they get real casual. You've probably heard this before. And it's, it's kind of funny, but it's, it's bad. You know, we see in the New Testament one or two places where Jesus says he cries out, Abba, Father. Everybody likes to grab onto that. It's like, it's like saying daddy. Like we can be so close to God, we call him daddy. But it's, a, it's a, actually a word that denotes the kind of time when you say, yes, daddy, and that is when you're fixing to be in trouble. Like, like, son, come here. I told you not to throw rocks at the car. Yes, daddy. That's what it is. It's not... It's not a casual thing. We don't take the name of the creator of all things lightly and just toss his name around. He created the heavens and the hosts of heaven. That means all the angelic realm. That means any other perceived God. That means the fallen angels as well as the holy angels. That means even Lucifer himself. He created the heavenly host and he created you. So be careful with the jokes about our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Be careful. Don't throw his name around. Don't throw the little jokes around with Jesus the Messiah with his name as the punchline. Don't do it. He's your creator. He's your Father. He loves you. He cares for you. Be careful. Be careful. Would you talk to your Father on earth that way? Not if you liked all your teeth. You are the Lord who made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that's in them. And you preserve them all. He holds it all in place. We kind of forget this. We're going about doing our thing and living our life, and we don't think about what all's. Do you know what's happening for you to be able to uh, function, to walk on the earth that's spinning ever how fast? I'd tell you, but I don't know. But it's really humming along, right? And it's held up in the universe somehow. Right, And you're not flung off at 25,000 miles per hour, however fast it's been, 2,000, I don't remember. It was pretty fast. You know, Somehow gravity holds you to the earth. Somehow your cells keep you from just flying apart. Somehow the God of all creation holds all that you are together and you give him no thought whatsoever. Except maybe on Sunday or, or maybe sometimes when negative things are happening. But not today. Today we're going we're gonna to be thankful we're going to remember, and this week when you're going home and cursing my name for being so mean to you about telling you how bad, uh, how bad you've been about not recognizing God, just remember, just remember God is good and he's greatly to be praised. And don't take him casually and don't take him lightly, but treat him with honor and regard and respect and, and elevate his name. It says he's worthy to be exalted and praised. He's not only above all things, but he made all things, and he holds in him are all things held together. Whatever it is, they call it the God particle. They're not even sure what holds stuff together. You've got these magnetic poles in cells, and yet they should be repelling each other, and yet somehow they stick together. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. We don't understand how DNA works. We don't understand how any of the material or the spiritual or supernatural, supernatural holds together, but somehow God does it, and he's doing it with all of us simultaneously as well as all creation and all the stuff going on in the ocean and all the stuff going on in the atmosphere and all the stuff going on in the core of the earth and all the stuff going out in the farthest reaches of the atmosphere. I mean, it's incredible. Give him his glory.
But from verse 6 to 15, it's just a, a memory, I say, but it's a memory of what God had done for the Israelite people. You know, how he, they did end up in Egypt by their own choices. Um, they chose to follow other gods, but he still worked on them and he still cared for them and he led them out and he protected them and he sent, he sent messengers and prophets and pastors and priests to care for them and kings and all these things and, and they kind of go over that. He gives them his commands. He tells them how they should live. But it's so sad in verse 16, it's where, the, it's where it turns and it says, but they and our fathers acted proudly and hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders. I think part of the problem is we don't see God as wonderful or we use the word wonderful so much that it doesn't have, it's like the word awesome we've talked about before. If we use awesome every time a kid hits a ball off a t-ball stick, it loses its power of awesome. But the word awesome and the word terrible are more closely related than awesome, Jimmy. Uh, you ate the whole hot dog all by yourself. Awesome is a power beyond. It is awe-inspiring. There's no way we can get anywhere close to the power of awesome. So don't use it in a weak way. Use it in a strong way. Use it to describe God. And the same thing with wonderful. It means full of wonder. Like, I can't comprehend how all this is working. Remember, I didn't even know how fast the earth was spinning. I can't comprehend how I can walk on the earth and not be flung off if it's going this fast. I can't comprehend how a tree can grow and, and sprout from an acorn and grow into a 200-year-old tree. I, I can't comprehend. I don't know how. I can't make it do it myself. I can take the acorn and plant it myself, but I'll never see the 200 years. And God's seen millennia of 200-year trees. He's seen thousand-year-old trees. He was there. Were you there when the, when the deer gave birth? What does Job say? Oh, uh, no. Did you provide food for the lion cub? No. Do you even care about the lion cub? No. God does. And he's got it all in his hands, and it's all under his control, and he's guiding it, directing it, shaping it, and we get to be a part of it. But don't lose your wonder. And don't do what these guys did. Maybe you did this in the past. We've all had earthly fathers, I'm sure. All of us have done these things against our earthly fathers. We've acted proudly. We've hardened our necks. We've talked back to them. We've rebelled against them. We've not done what they ask us to do. We've rejected their wisdom and their insight. We've done it with our earthly fathers. We've done it with our heavenly father. We're no better than these. A lot of times, well, I remember when I was a kid and, and we'd hear them reading about the Israelites and I was like, man, how dumb do these guys got to be? And then I turned 25 and I'm like, well, I did all the stuff they did. I'm just as bad as those dummies. How do I, how do I break free? We did the same thing. But God in his mercy, I'd like this, how it says this is so good. This is you. Just put yourself in this spot. But you, but me, and my father, we acted proudly. And I hardened my neck. And you hardened your neck. And I didn't obey all of God's commands. Have you? No. You've lied. You've stolen. You've, had, you've, you've desired things that weren't yours. You've had adulterous thoughts. You've had murderous thoughts. You've blasphemed the name of the Most High God. You've talked back to your mom and dad. You've had other idols greater than God in your life. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader. And then look how it changes right there at the bottom of 17. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger. Oh, if I had God's slowness to anger in myself, 
abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. You did that to your earthly father. You've done that to your heavenly father. And sometimes our earthly fathers were not so quick to uh, show mercy to us and reconcile with us. But the heavenly father is not so. He's ready to pardon, turn back, and he will forgive. It's a great, a great verse. God is so generous. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You had no desire for the Messiah to be sent. You weren't even thinking about it. And while you were yet a sinner, lost in, in your trespasses and sin, the Bible says dead in those, he sent a savior for you. And you have this very simple opportunity to say, I turn from what I am and what I've tried to do and what I've tried to fix myself and I give myself to you. I know I'm a sinner, and I can't fix myself. I'm full of wickedness. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. What can I do? And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just come to me, and I'll take you to the Father. He made all this stuff for you. He made an entire creation for you, if that's not ridiculous. You know who you are. He prepared a cure before the, before the disease was even in place. He already had the plan. He didn't have to come up with a plan on the spot when, when Eve and Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't have to come up with a plan. He already had a plan. I'm going to send the Messiah, a Savior. And this is the thing. It's one of the greatest verses, in my, in my opinion, there in Ephesians where it says that he chose us, God chose us, from before the foundation of the earth. He chose you knowing the worst thing you would ever think, say, or do, and he chose you anyway. Wow. That's amazing. He's ready to pardon. He's gracious and merciful. Think about the terrible things. Don't think about it too long. You'll get depressed. I don't want you to be depressed. I want you to be happy. But think about the worst thing you ever did and know that he's like, come here. Get over here. Come back in here. Get back over here. You're over there. Get back over here. Prodigal son, he goes out to the pig pen. Get out of the pig pen, son. Get back. This is my land. Come over on my land. I'm going to treat you good on my land. Come to my land. You don't have to stay in the pig pen. Come to my land, and I'll be good to you. He chose you. If he chose you, he has a plan for you. If he chose you, he will in no wise cast out. He has you. You're his. You belong to him. No one can snatch you out of my hand, Jesus says. Your hand's in his hand. And then he says, my father, who is greater than I, no one shall snatch you out of my father's hand. Jesus, your hand crushing in the father's hand on top. You ain't getting out. He will in no wise cast out if you belong to him. This is the knife in the gut, though. Verse 18. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt. Even after I accepted Christ." even after you accepted Christ, even after we accepted Christ, at some point, we tended to fall back in the old way, whatever that is. The things of earth attracted our eyes, and we allowed things to slip past the gatekeepers, what we talked about this morning. They got in through the eyes, through the ears, through the mouth, through the feel. They got in there and they corrupted us. And we thought about our cell phones as more important and more high than the most high God. And we got a man, if you take my cell phone, I would probably die. Right? I can't do without that. Take my TV, I'd probably die. I've got to have stuff to look at. 
I mean, all my furniture is oriented to my TV. It, it must be the most important thing in my house. You can't remove that from me. But, but God, even when I made a molded calf for myself, even then, verse 19, yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. Even in my worst time of living in my life, when I ran as obstinately as I possibly could away from God, he sat there and waited for me to return. He didn't pursue me with a stick, but he waited for me with love, patience, long-suffering, mercy, kindness, goodness. He waited for me to return to him. It was pretty amazing in this scripture here, in this psalm, how many times that he says that he waited for them. In verse 17 and in verse 18, even when they made the molded calf, I, that even when, that's the part that really... Uh, punches me in the stomach. You remember in, in Jesus with the disciples at Passover, he says, one of you who dips his hand into the bowl with me was the one that was going to give him up to the Pharisees, right? And while he's saying that, they're all over there with their hand in the bowl like, oh, because it was a common bowl. They all had their hand in the bowl. You know, I'll never deny Christ, Peter says three times. You know, Soon as the sun goes down and they're falling asleep and the bad guys come and grab Jesus, where do they go? Are they there like, hey, get your hands off him? No, man, they're to the wind. Right? Thomas, unless I touch his hands and his side, I won't believe. Come here, Thomas. Touch my hands on my side, you big dummy. You were right there with me. And it says, and some still doubted. And that's after his resurrection. But he waits, so patient, so long-suffering towards us. It says, but you, O God, are ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in kindness, and did not forsake us. Though I have forsaken him in disobedience, though I have spoken the name of the Lord God and his Messiah in vain, I've used it as a joke. I've used it as a cuss word. I've made vows. I swear to God that I'm going to do this and that, and I haven't kept them. Even though I've done that, even though... I've done that. He's ready to pardon. And he's gracious and merciful. And he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Then when we cried out to you, verse 27, when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven according to your abundant mercies, you gave deliverers to save them. That's what happened to me. This is kind of make you laugh maybe, but when I first got to Tennessee, um, I wasn't living a particularly Christian life. I wasn't living as a bandit or, or a, a whatever either, but... I got to Tennessee, and I, I started going to work with this guy. His name was Chip. My name is Dale, Chip and Dale. Got it. How's there? Everybody noticed that right off. And um, this was a pretty special little fella. And, uh, and I believe that God put him in that place for that day to get me reoriented to who God is. And he's this little, I, I, don't, I don't really know anybody like him. He was just happy all the time, little scrawny, wormy guy. We didn't have anything in, in common. At all, he didn't play sports. He hadn't been in the military. Um, he was uh, a musician. Uh, he wrote, you know, songs. In fact, one of the times in church, he got up with his guitar and said, uh, "This morning, before we start the service, I wrote a love song for my wife, 
and he sang it in front of the whole church. And I was like, oh, man, that guy's got guts right there. <laughs> you know, he just poured his heart out for his wife in front of the whole church. And I was like, I couldn't, I'd never seen such. I couldn't even imagine a person of that personality. And he was one time, this is his personality. He saw a homeless guy on the street. He was going to a Jars of Clay concert back when they were something. They were a Christian band back in the day. He sees a homeless guy on the street. He talks to the homeless, offers him the gospel, gives him some food and some money, and the main guy from Jars of Clay is walking by, and he said, you're the only guy that came and talked to that guy. He goes, will you be our pastor and our, and our like, uh, what do you call it, HR guy for the band? He goes, hey, I mean, if that was you, what pride would you have, right? He's like, well, I need to pray about it. He goes, no, no, I don't. He goes, I have a ministry already where I live. I don't, I don't need to do that. That's who Chip Hall was is. He's still alive. Um, and God put that guy in my path. I was pretty wild. I was, I was pretty mean. I'm not saying I'm a gentle giant now. I'm saying I was out of control mean, and I was an angry person, and I had a lot going on. And uh, God put this little gentle, little pussycat of a guy right here, and he's like, attach yourself to him. And somehow, Chip wouldn't let me go. And that's what he did with these people. He did the same thing. He put some minister in front of him all the time, calling him back, calling him back, calling him back. And each time they'd come back, and then that minister would pass away, and they'd fall away again. He'd send another minister, and he'd call him back. How many people have had a minister like that in their life? Everybody's had somebody, right, where they've come in just out of nowhere. You're like, where is this guy coming from? At first, you're like, you're, you're like almost ashamed to be seen with them because they're so not like you, but they're in tune with the Father. The Father sends them so that you can get in tune with them. It's good. Man, he's good to us. Yet even in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake me. It says in verse 20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Here's, this is tricky now. Because when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, I couldn't hear God's spirit. It was going to take Chip Hall, who was in tune with God's spirit, for me to hear what it was that the voice of God was saying. But we reject that. If we're hard-hearted enough and our neck is stiff enough, we won't hear it. But I pray that you're not in that spot today. I pray that you're hearing. So verse 27, they cried to you. Verse 28, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Even when they didn't deserve it. Verse 30, yet for many years you had patience with them. Many years. How many years was God patient with me? How he didn't take my life. I had people in the service, truly, I had people die all around me, and it never touched me. I really did. I went with 35 or 39, I can't remember how many, like 35 guys from my infantry school to the unit I went to, and when I got out, there was like six of us that were still alive. A bunch of them got killed on helicopters, some guys got bombed, different people got whatever, car wrecks and everything. Like, how did it not touch me? It touched all these other guys. How did I escape? Mouse as wicked as they were, why did God choose me for whatever he was choosing me for? I don't know, but he did. For 40 years, for 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness, and they weren't even trying to follow him. And for ever how many years you've been alive, he sustained you, and you weren't even trying to follow him. You say that he hasn't done anything for you. Shame. For many years you had patience with them. Nevertheless, verse 31, in your great mercy you did not utterly consume them nor forsake you, for you are God, gracious 
and merciful over and over he keeps telling us how gracious and merciful God is and over and over and we go home and we hear the news and we listen to stuff and we hear other people say how ungracious and unmerciful and wrathful and unloving and and whatever and it's not true it's a lie he's always been gracious he's always been merciful he's always been long-suffering man if I did the stuff to my dad that that I've done to God the Father I wouldn't have any fur left on my body. Yet for many years, for many years he had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. And we killed the prophets. They wouldn't listen. Verse 31, nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. That reminds me of that Psalm 103. If thou, Lord, should hold our iniquities against us, some says should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If he kept track of all the stuff that you did, then you'd have a big book. If he had all my stuff and your stuff in one book, it would be too big to carry. But there's forgiveness. This is a really neat verse on 133 and 4. The one says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And the next verse says, um, but there is forgiveness with you that you should be feared. We should be afraid of the one who provides forgiveness. It's an honor thing. It's a reverence. Man, how could he forgive so much just for me? I mean, there was an extra chapter in there just for me, let alone for you, our God. Look at verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, is he yours? The great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy. You don't. I don't. I told you, I left Andrew on the curb over here, and he's like, man, are you coming to get me or what? I, like, ah, I, got, <laughs> I can't remember for 10 minutes. He remembers for millennium, and he does what he says he's going to do. And even the guy, in, in recounting to himself like how he's lived, he's like, oh, don't let all the trouble seem small before you. The things that I've done against you, Lord, have, have been way worse affront to you than you've shown mercy in return. Man, he's so good. So good. The things that we did, they weren't small things. They were a great affront. Yet no matter how offensive, he continues to show mercy. You are just, it says in verse 33, you are just in all that has befallen. I deserve everything I got and a thousand times more. Only by his great mercy did he not give me what I truly deserve, thankfully. For you have dealt faithfully, but I have done wickedly. I had to personalize that because, you know, I'm an American. I don't like to take blame for stuff. Our kings, have they been faithful to God, the kings of the United States? Have the princes of the United States been merciful? Have they been kind to their people? Have they been oppressors? Have they been afflictors? Or have they been long-suffering and loving towards us? Are they afflicting us? Or are they oppressing us? Our priests nor our fathers have even kept the law. The reason we're in the spot we're in now is because for ever how many generations we've quit teaching the law to our children. It's, it's our father's fault. It's our grandfather's fault. It's our great-grandfather's fault. If they didn't teach us the law, how are we supposed to know the statutes, the commandments, the testimonies? How would we know if they don't tell us? They have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them. Look at all the good stuff you gave us, Lord, and we never even gave you the credit. Shame on us. But I don't want you leaving with your head down there. I want you leaving with your eyes lifted up. This is who we are, but God's not unaware of who you are, and you know who you are. But if you go back, just go back and read again and again where it says, 
how merciful and how gracious he was to us. Just over and over, man, he just keeps pouring the grace out. His grace is more. His grace is higher. His grace is abundant. His grace is mighty. We read that in that psalm this morning about his power and the power of his mercy. I mean, we think of power like oh, the rock, the wrestler, whatever. We, we think of power like that, but that's nothing. Compare, I mean, God's like, and the rock's done. He takes his last breath from him and he falls over dead and that's all she wrote. He's got all that power, yet he shows mercy. If I try to enforce love from a person, if I try to make them love me, the only thing I'm going to get in return is anger and belligerence because enforced love involves control. I'm going to make you love me. I want you to love me. I don't even know you. I want you to love me. You've got to love me. I said, well, until you do these things and prove that you love me, you can't leave my house. What kind of kids are raised in that house? Where do they go? Do they come back to that father or do they escape from that father? They feel controlled. The father may want to love them. Our father in heaven is not that way. He says, go do your thing, man. Go ahead. You're going to live your own life. Go live it. But I'm going to be here and I'm going to be ready to show you mercy and love, forgiveness and long-suffering when you return. Just come back. Stop being a dummy. Come back. I'll, I'll take you back. Anytime, just come back. I saw this, this prayer here, and I was thinking about us. You know, it's Thanksgiving, and I wanted to read you these two, these two messages, these Thanksgiving messages. One was from George Washington, and one was from Abraham Lincoln. And, but I, what I saw here on the end was, was this covenant that they signed. And they didn't take it lightly that they put their names and their seals on this covenant. Because what they said was, you've done all this stuff for us, and because of our sins, we're under these foreign kings. That could happen to us in the United States. We don't think it could, but it, it, it's liable to. But no matter what happens out there for me and my spirit, for you and your spirit, I pray that you can make this covenant between you and God, and that is, you've done everything, and I accept your gift of grace and salvation for me. As much as, I'm, as much as I can, I'm not going to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I'm going to put my name on it. It don't have to be a long covenant. This was a pretty long one. Listen to this, George Washington declaring the first Thanksgiving in 1789. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. Both houses of Congress requested me to recommend a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, to be devoted to the service of that great and glorious being, that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions. Lord, help us. To enable us all to perform our several duties, to reduce Render our national government a blessing to all people by being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. George Washington, great man of God. You know the first thing he did when he was elected president? Anybody know? He went and spent four hours in prayer with uh, some of the other leaders of the, of the Congress. What do our presidents do? Not that. In uh, October 1863, President Lincoln directed all citizens to set aside the last Thursday of November as a day of prayer and rest. Then he thanked God for all the blessings of that year. 
I don't know if you know this, but that was when the Civil War was. People were dying like dogs everywhere, just getting killed everywhere. But it's like any war. It doesn't affect everyone. So many people outside of those conflict areas were just living their lives and completely oblivious to what was going on. He said that America had had a great harvest that year and good weather. They had plenty of food for soldiers and civilians alike. Though the nation was at war, other nations hadn't interfered between the Union and the Confederacy. That was a big deal. They could have, I mean, talk about easy to defeat. You know, Britain was still powerful in that day. France still had power, and they stayed out of it. The population overall hadn't, uh, had increased. Farming and mining had thrived. Uh, bumper crops. These realities, uh, Lincoln said, were the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy. And because God was so merciful, even amidst the Civil War, America should remember to be grateful. And so here was the Civil War uh, proclamation he did. He did it twice, the same one, 1863 and 1864. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the battlefield. More people were born than passed away. The country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. I do, therefore, invite my fellow citizens to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise for such a singular deliverance and blessings and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. It has pleased Almighty God to prolong our national life another year. It has also pleased our Heavenly Father to favor our citizens in their home as our soldiers are in their camps. Moreover, it has been pleased, he has been pleased to inspire our minds and hearts with fortitude, courage, and resolution sufficient for the great trial of civil war and to which we have been brought by our adherence to the cause of freedom and humanity. Now, therefore, I, Abraham Lincoln, do hereby appoint and set apart the last Thursday in November as a day to be observed by all my fellow citizens as a day of thanksgiving and praise to Almighty God. And I do further recommend to my fellow citizens that they do reverently humble themselves in the dust and from thence offer up penitent and fervent prayers and supplications to the great disposer of events for a return to the inestimable inestimable blessings of peace, union, and harmony throughout the land, which it has pleased him to assign as a dwelling place for ourselves and for our posterity throughout all generations. I pray that this Thanksgiving you'll go and uh, speak those words of truth to your family, encourage them in that. And uh, I just read those and I thought how great it would be um, for us as individuals to have the, the gumption to tell people that we were founded uh, as a godly nation. I don't care what the press says. I don't care what you read on the internet, young people. We were founded as a godly nation under godly principles. Um, the separation of church and state, uh, that if you want to go back and look at that, it had more to do with uh, one segment of Baptists not being able to have influence over another. It had nothing to do with us not being able to say godly things in public places. It had nothing to do with that at all. But men, wicked men, have twisted those things and changed who we are as a people, sadly. But it's time for us as Americans to stand and be bold with one another and preach the word 
in spirit and in truth to others. The freedom that we have in Christ and the freedom that we have as citizens of America, a place where God has greatly blessed us. He's provided you homes that you didn't build. He's provided you food that you didn't plant. He's provided you uh, lands that you didn't have any part in making. And he gave them to you. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and take dominion over it. And you can do that. We can do that in our community. We need to do that. Do that with your families. And the last thing I want to tell you, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in it, but in this chapter 10, 10, 11, and 12 there, um, there's a man of thanksgiving in Nehemiah. Uh, look at Nehemiah 11:17 is the first place it's mentioned. Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asab, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer. And from there, there's about eight or ten times where it's mentioned these men of thanksgiving but look at 12:40 through 43. These men over and over are mentioned that they gave these prayers of thanksgiving, prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of thanksgiving. Do you have anything in your life that you can give thanks for? I mean, we, we can give thanks. I mean, we've seen people pass away, but we've also seen children born. We've seen people sick, but we've seen people healed. We've seen abundance of food in every house here. I can tell just because how you're shaped. We have abundance of food. I can't say I'm pointing the finger at myself too. I know. I mean, we've been blessed in a million different ways. Where's the thanksgiving? But look at this in, in verse uh, 40. So the two thanksgiving choirs, they had whole choirs of people giving thanksgiving stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half of the rulers with me and the priests, they had trumpets there, verse 41. 42, it starts naming off all these guys with these names that are hard to pronounce. At the end it says, the singers sang loudly with Jezrahiah, the director. And this is 43, listen to this. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And I pray that this, one time, one time me and Renetta were driving in the south and we were passing, we thought something happened to our car. We were in Louisiana, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, driving down the interstate. And all of a sudden we heard this loud noise coming from the car like, oh man, we've blown a tire. It was the stadium at LSU. It was all the people cheering. And it's way off the road. It's a couple miles. I mean, you can see the lights. It was so loud that we thought something was wrong with the car. It was crazy. We should be rejoicing with noise, with joy like that, so loud that people passing by can hear us. We should be better about that. Thanking God for his goodness to us. I pray that you're encouraged today that you heard the word, you receive it with gladness. For those of you that are kind of on the fence, well, I told Tammy, I'll tell them, you think I won't. Well, they, you know, they say, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Should I, should I follow Christ? Do I stay in the world? Am I a good person? The only thing that riding the fence does is give you a sore crotch. And that's the truth. Pick a side. Choose today whom you will serve, says Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that today you'll choose to serve the Lord, to give him thanksgiving for all that he's done. And for those that have yet to accept Christ, he's the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way that you're getting to the Father. Choose him today. Don't wait another day. You don't know. This could be your last breath. You don't know. There's bad drivers in the parking lot. Be careful. You don't know. 
People die of everything. You don't know. So I pray that today is the day of your salvation. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you with thanksgiving and honor and praise for your goodness. You've been so good for us. You didn't take our lives when we did things that were offensive to you, when we spoke your name in vain, when we mocked your name in jest, when we, when we didn't speak up when other people said terrible things about you, Lord, when we didn't speak in boldness about the hope that we had within us, Lord. Have mercy on us. Thank you for your continued mercy over these 40 years, Lord. Some of us have walked with you much longer, some less. But Lord, for those that are saved, Lord, today I pray that there's a new repentant heart in them, a drawing closer to you than they've never seen before, they've not experienced before. That you come over them like a rushing flood, Lord, and you, and you pour out your spirit upon them, Lord. And that they have a renewed zeal to follow you and to do your will and to, and to act in accordance with your word, Lord, your statutes, your testimonies, your laws, and your commandments, Lord, that we would hear them and we would receive them with joy and we would do them. Father, we do pray for the persecuted church around the world who can't freely worship. We can go anywhere we want. We can say whatever we want. And if people mock our words, we can just walk on and tell someone else, Lord. But we're so afraid, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us confidence. We know the truth, Lord, that we would tell others of the hope that's within us. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Even when we made molded idols and set them before you, even then you forgave us. Thank you for these that have come, Lord. I pray that they uh, receive the word with gladness, Lord. I pray that they speak the word to other people that it doesn't die here in the service, but they hear it and they go and tell others about the hope that's within them. I thank you for the food and all the hands that prepared the food. I pray that we celebrate loudly with joy and that we enjoy one another's company in that. And we give you this time, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to have this song sung for you. It's a Abide With Me. I know different people have had, I know we've had some deaths in the church this week. Um, Pastor Tony got a bad, a bad word uh, uh, regarding his cancer. Um, and this song, Abide With Me, you know, sometimes they play it at funerals, but even in that, we should receive this song with joy. I pray you will. Just hear it, and then we'll have a, a closing word, okay? Let's listen to this song together. Sorry. Just while you're there, bow your head. for you. Listen to the words here.
had someone pass it. I want to say this. It's like Samuel said to King Saul. King Saul had ended his life poorly. Um, but Samuel said, where I am, there you will be. Saul couldn't picture, though he had lived a time as a wicked man, he couldn't picture where Samuel was. He had fear. But here's the thing. They're not coming here, but we can go to them. Those that have passed, they've already crossed, crossed the Jordan. They've already gone into heaven, however you want to say it. They're there. You can go to them. They can't come to you. You can go to them. Those that trust in Christ can be with them.